We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to this edition of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, with Mario Puig. Draft season is really starting to heat up. We're going to get into Mario's FSGA best ball draft from earlier this week. We also got some Scott Fishbowl updates. Mario has Mario's has kicked off earlier this week, and mine has progressed. We are into round 17 in mine, so a little update after last week's first 10 rounds breakdown. Let's get it on. Welcome back in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. John McKechnie here with Mario Puig. As always, Mario, draft season really starting to heat up. Um, you were able to participate in the FSGA uh, best ball draft. FSGA is running a bunch of different events throughout the course of this week. I will be participating in the FSGA futures and props draft that takes place on Friday. That's a fun. Is that one. that mix and match thing you were doing the last couple of years? Yeah. So the 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 essential breakdown of that is they give you a big board, uh, you know, based on you know big futures, Super Bowl, AFC. Um, even some college football stuff. Uh, I spent my first pick on the Georgia Bulldogs to win the Natty last year. Um, so, you know, pretty, pretty <laughs> sharp lad over, over here. Um, but yeah, so that'll be fun. What we can dive into that a little bit uh, next week. We'll, we'll break that down and may, maybe, maybe I'll pick your brain on, on some futures that I should uh, be keeping an eye on for that one. I think, you know, no spoilers, but spoiler, Maybe some Chris Olave rookie of the offensive rookie of the year uh, discussion coming on that one. But I want to kick things off um, talking about your best ball draft. We'll get to fishbowl in the second half of this pod. So without further ado, what what was kind of the breakdown of this one? Where were you picking? What did you have any strategy in mind going into this one? Or were you just going to kind of let the board fall? The floor is yours. Well, this is a different best ball format than what I've been drafting in, which was underdog previously. There are 12 teams, half point PPR, three receivers, uh, important detail. This one was different in a a few ways. It was two receivers, not three. It's a full point PPR, I'm pretty sure, and it's 14 teams instead of 12. So that's so many differences from what I'm used to that I, I didn't really try to put together a rigid plan in my head going in I kind of uh, I thought I should try to somehow acknowledge the fact that I just didn't actually know what was going to happen so like why bother trying to guess uh, too much I I figured I should try to just kind of react uh, best as I could to how things were developing and um, with the exception of the wide receiver point being devalued and uh, two receivers instead of three I think might be pretty important especially in this era of uh, fantasy football. I mean, this era of the NFL more specifically. Like back in uh back in like the early two thousands, two receiver, two running back was the normal format, and it was standard scoring, not PPR, not half point PPR. So uh, it kind of made me wonder if it was going to be almost a little bit of a sort of a flashback league, in that uh, maybe running back 
production was was more important than people generally draft like nowadays, or at least maybe wide receiver was less important. Because um, if, if you're only starting two and there's more more productive receivers now than ever, then I thought, well, that's the position I should maybe cut it a little cheap, at least in the sense of drafting early. I ended up going with volume rather than uh, expense there. So uh, I, I knew I wanted to get higher point totals at quarterback, running back, and tight end than I'm normally uh, aiming for because I, I just think that receiver would have been the easiest one to nail. So I kind of uh, took my took, took like a wide selection of my pet sleeper types rather than uh, – trying to keep up with the highest price ones early on. Yeah, um, I was, oh, by the way, I was at, a, I think, the 10th pick is where I started, where I went with Joe Mixon. But uh, a lot of my picks, a lot of my targets from within this within this uh, approach that I'm describing got sniped from me. So most of my picks were not my ideal ones. Like uh, the Mixon one, uh, I was probably, let me see, I'm trying to remember what I was hoping for. I was hoping to get uh, Dalvin Cook at the Mixon pick. And then after I took Mixon, I, I was going into the second round hoping to get one of Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, or Aaron Jones, and they all went before that pick, which is uh, not that I was not that I was depressed to make my Kyle Pitts selection there, but a lot of people thought that was a weird one. Yeah, I, anytime that um, we we have tons of ADP data, and yet still uh, the person who takes Kyle Pitts always kind of like gets an eyebrow raise because it, there's always you know, two or three guys, I feel like it or uh, people in any draft that are in on Kyle Pitts at cost. And then after that, it, it's a bunch of fade, fade, fade. I'm not paying that price for for one touchdown. Yeah. Someone who was in uh, the, the Zoom chat was actually just like, what the hell? Oh, I'm right here. <laughs> I can see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but no, I mean, it was, um, I know it wasn't a, um, a conventional pick. I'm okay with that. I just, uh, so the, the context here is um, again, I wanted those three running backs and my plan was hoping to get Darren Waller in the fourth. Uh, if, if all else being equal, I'd rather have Waller in the fourth than Pitts in the second, you know, but uh, those running back targets weren't options. So uh, that's how I ended up with Mixon and Pitts rather than like, you know, uh, I, I guess what I should have done was just not take Mixon and go with uh, uh, Jones or Barkley. Cause uh, I don't know. I, I I don't even I don't even have Mixon that far ahead of those guys. I just kind of I was trying to get security, and I thought like you know Mixon's he's getting the twenty carry three catch workload and one of the highest scoring offenses. Maybe I should just take that and and leave uh, two maybe more injury prone guys like Jones and Barkley uh, for the second pick. But maybe I should have just took those two running backs. Um, in any case, I am happy with the way my team turned out, but um, having to wait so long in between picks kind of gave me concerns that I maybe don't normally act on. And then it kind of explains how I ended up with a team that doesn't look that much. I guess in some ways it looks like teams that I usually draft. Like I have a bunch of um, Corderell, a bunch of Juju Smith-Schuster, especially a decent amount of, uh, I have a lot of Albert Equegwinum. That's a later pick. Um, But yeah, I don't have any mix in teams, even as far as I'm aware of before this one. Uh, Sorry to cut you off, but uh, Julia J wants to point out uh, my mustache and its prowess. So, um, you know, not 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 to spend too long on that, but uh, needed to be uh, acknowledged. Even what is is eternally true sometimes needs to be said again. You know, reminded, you know, just a a reestablishment, a refiguring. um, But but yes, uh, if you're watching on the YouTube, uh, it's there. If you follow me on Twitter. um, Yeah, I'd be posting about the stash it's happening um however mario uh before we we dive a little bit deeper into your team i just kind of wanted to to like have some general comments i thought that that you know and, and again you know the the way that the the league is set up where you you're only starting a, a handful of receivers only only two necessarily you do kind of get a throwback vibe uh when it comes to how many running backs are going off the board and going off the board early so i kind of wanted mm-hmm. to draw your attention um to the second and third rounds where where we started to see some guys that we normally see go much later in, in the drafts that we've been doing um end up getting pushed up the board and and i wanted to start uh specifically with, with zeke um i also wanted to get your thoughts on kamara towards the end of the second round and then AJ Dillon being a third round selection um, also kind of caught my eye. Yeah. So like you said, the running backs uh, were inflated uh, the whole way through the draft. I mean, I didn't expect it to be quite 
as much as it was, but uh, I definitely went in knowing I wanted to get my running backs out of the way early because I thought basically if, if I'm taking wide receivers early, if I'm, if I'm going wide receiver heavy early on then the running backs that I'm going to have to take later, uh, Hey, they're, you know, the, the Ronald Jones types, whatever the zero running back favored types are, it's like, you're not going to get that discount that you normally do that you normally factor into the calculation for that strategy. Uh, but B, you're going to have to roster some running backs later who are just zeros. Like some, some of these guys that are getting picked as, so, so let, let me try to back up a bit. I went pretty thin at running back despite spending early at running back. I only picked four. Maybe that was a mistake. I don't know. It's, it's definitely playing it, uh, pretty close in week 10 because I ended up taking Brees Hall uh, who has the same 10 uh, week 10 bye week as Joe Mixon. But the thing is a lot of people were taking running backs five and six that I just would not pick ever Uh, Mm -hmm. players that I don't even think are going to be on rosters. Some of them are fine. Like um, getting a guy like um, like, uh, this uh, Cody Zeeb got Khalil Herbert as his running back four in uh, something like, I don't know, this is like the 12th, 13th round, something like that. That's fine. That's like where Herbert usually goes. Um, but then you got players like, I don't know, like Abram Smith, Devontae Booker, uh, Tyler Beatty, no offense, Mike Davis, no offense, uh, who aren't going to do anything at all. Kenyon Drake, who I, I'm not even convinced he's going to be on the Raiders, going uh, in the same round as like Nico Collins. And so like I wanted to be the team picking the receivers in that range of the draft because – I can see Nico Collins having a few decent games. I can see uh, what are these? I'm trying to get my color. Like KJ Hamler going toward the end of the draft. Like that's a guy that, I, especially in best ball, I want players like him. Uh, if if they're going in the same range as players like uh, whatever uh, Keyshawn Vaughn and like Chris Carson, Marlon Mack. Like these are guys that are going around players that I think could be viable wide receiver starters, and I don't even think they're going to do anything at running back. So uh, yeah, I. I I got out of the running back market the way I did partially because by the time I was able to look at a fifth running back, I was like, I, I don't want any of these guys ever. Um, so yeah, I'm playing kind of weird for, for me. I don't, I definitely don't do four running backs ever. Uh, although part of the background there too, is I wanted to get three defenses and two good kickers. Cause uh, we have to do kickers and defense in this format. And I knew I wanted to get ideally the highest point totals at those two. And I actually am pretty sure I did. Uh, we can talk about that a little later, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, circling back, Zeke is a second rounder, even in this format. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, Zeke Elliott was not on my radar in the second round, he, he, in large part because I did think, you know, him, Javante Williams, Cam Akers, Dobbins, Connor, whatever, they're, they're not meaningfully different to me. So I said, well, I'll take Pitts now because I don't think he's going to make it to my third rounder. And I think Pitts is meaningfully different from, you know, even as much as I like Waller, I wasn't ready to take him in the third. So I took Pitts there, not liking uh, the alternatives. Uh, Kamara is a tough one. I mean, I've said that I don't think he's going to play the whole season. And I guess I should say, I don't know what's going on with that. I know he's going to miss time for it. Eventually, apparently there's some technicality about the way his court uh, schedule is set up that he he might get the, the suspension pushed into next year. In which case, I don't really know what to do about that because, um, I know that a lot of the reasoning is based on the time of the trial and the NFL does not need convictions to send down suspension punishments. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott didn't get charged with a crime, let alone convicted of one. So, uh, Kamara having footage of this and the NFL fixers, the NFL investigators already know whatever happened. They don't need the courts to tell them. So it's up to them to kind of decide now, uh, how to balance, you know, the questions of like the saints and their ability to compete with one of the most popular players in the league, their best player. Uh, they have to balance that consideration in the interest of that owner, ownership group, whatever, versus kind of the league image of, of them ostensibly having like any set of, of uh, you know, equally applied uh, personal conduct policy, which they just don't have. Roger Goodell, uh, the whole the whole point of the NFL, the way it is structured is that they are basically a collusion cartel that is ruled by just kind of like internal power dynamics that aren't subjected to outside laws or anything. Like they can just decide stuff as a group and they don't need any reason to do it. They don't need to follow any rules. And Roger Goodell just always represents a plurality interest of the owners, whatever collection of the owners can dictate enough power to tell Goodell to do something as, you know, as it pertains to their broader will, he executes it at that point. So whatever they want to do is what they're going to do. I don't think they need the courts to, to give them any sort of green light for anything, including this. 
But for what it's worth, uh, you know, this could be a case, I guess, where it's like maybe since he is one of the best players and since he is, you know, the, the Saints really need him, maybe they will try to push the suspension into next year just so, I don't know, just, just out of the, you know, sort of thinking of like just trying to make the next quarter as profitable as possible. Like maybe that's the way they'll do it. So all that's in play. I have no idea what's going on, but I know I, I just don't want to take Kamara because I, I don't uh, – I don't know. I don't know if, of what's going on, and I feel like I'm. I'd have to take him over other players who I'm just certain of. Yeah, my my sense. Yeah, you know, kind of going along with with what you said. Do you remember the South Park episode where they ripped on Family Guy and and the their writing <laughs> the process? Yeah, yeah, so I, that's basically how I view uh, the NFL's process for uh, deciding suspensions. Well, it's even it's even more bleak. Yeah, it's just organized crime. It's just mob stuff. You know, it's like they just. They get up there and they they do what they want and uh, they'll they'll be as corrupt as they want to or as corrupt as they think they can get away with and they can get away with basically anything. They're not they're not governed by anybody but their their owners and the owners uh, aren't governed by governments actually because they're too rich. And uh, manatees famously not corrupt. Maybe the least corrupt animal. Manatees are uh, along with copy. They're the copy bars of the sea almost. I guess you say as much people say sea cows like they're they're they are clearly conduits of, of like divine energy and uh, they are sea based rather than swamp based is the only difference really correct but uh, yes but both animals uh, we're, we're huge fans of but back to football momentarily uh, or right now um, so let's go on over um, I did want to touch on AJ Dillon that's that I think is oh, the right. highest that, that I've seen him go like it, even in, in this type of format so uh, a third rounder I mean, again, best ball, you, you, I understand the idea of swinging for the fences a little bit harder, but I, I do feel like opportunity cost wise, like even if you're really aggressive on AJ Dillon, I, I felt that like maybe a fourth round uh, selection would have, uh, you know, he would have still been there at that point as, as opposed to the third. Yeah, I, I might have missed something. I'm not sure what people have been talking about with Dylan. Like usually when something like this happens where some player movement in the ADP occurs and I just don't understand it. Like it's usually some podcast or some collection of people on Twitter, on some site kind of um, got an idea in motion and people are, you know, going on Twitter and talking about it and they kind of discuss it. And they, that's how kind of, that's just how all the agendas kind of work through uh, the public, you know, and, uh, I'm guessing somebody out there said something about how AJ Dillon is, um, you know, going to take a big step forward with Devonte Adams gone and uh, maybe even take over for Aaron Jones. I'm not sure. I think, I think we can say both of us were much higher on AJ Dillon as prospects than basically everybody. And uh, I know, like, I know PFF had him projected as an undrafted player and like that was uh, ridiculous at the time. And we were just saying it's as simple as, 245 pounders who run the same 40 as Derrick Henry and have the same vertical and broad jump as Derrick Henry, they can probably run in the NFL. And Dylan can definitely run in the NFL. The problem is Aaron Jones can really, really run. And Aaron Jones can catch passes in the NFL too. Aaron Jones is as dangerous as all but probably like three or four running backs in the NFL uh, in any given one play. I don't think there's a meaningful distinction between Kamara and Aaron Jones, honestly, as far as just kind of how dangerous they are. Uh, the only reason they don't keep up with players like Jonathan Taylor and Chubb is just because they're not as big. They can't, they can't take on quite the same uh, beating. And that is, a, that is a real limitation with Jones. He's not going to be a 20 carry running back. It's just out of the question, but even going back to UTEP, he was just insane. Just no doubt productive all the time, every single year. And I think Jones is clearly the more likely beneficiary than Dylan uh, for whatever there is to gain from Devontae Adams leaving. And I, I think it's quite substantial what Jones stands to gain. Uh, I think Dylan can maybe gain a little, uh, but to me, he's still just, he's like their sixth man and maybe uh, one who gets a bigger workload when it's really cold out and they basically want to, you know, up the pain factor and reduce the, the contact that Jones is subjected to. Right. And, and, you know, that that's always been kind of like the, the great thing about the the idea of AJ Dillon in, in Green Bay, and I know that AJ Dillon like has totally embraced uh, the Wisconsin uh, lifestyle. Like I, I, he's always tweeting about or like Instagramming about how much he loves Wisconsin and like get, goes up to Door County and stuff. So I, I personally I, I love that kind of stuff, and I love the idea of 
a frosty game at Lambeau where, where he's just you know, bludgeoning uh, the, the opposing defense. So, you know, that therein lies, you know, some potential like, uh, you know, a, a playoff bump potentially when you get to the fantasy playoffs, you get to that stage of the season and like A.J. Dillon just start, you know, he gets on the tracks and uh, look out. But if Jones even, does miss, if Jones does miss any time yet, then Dylan goes nuts. But people are people are taking him. Like the team that took him took him the round before Elijah Mitchell, who uh, doesn't need anyone to get hurt to rake. Yeah, see, exactly, exactly. So I thought that 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 was interesting, and I, I think that that was good to kind of like re- reset the record on Aaron Jones because I, I feel like there the discourse on him has been rather tepid throughout the, this off season. But I, I think that he's someone that I need to get. Uh, some more shares of it as the the rest of draft really season good. kind of starts. He, he could do totally. exactly what Eckler did last year, basically. Basically, yeah. And uh, that's that's a good thing. Um, let's get on over. Let let's let's shift our focus um, to to quarterbacks. You went ahead and took Justin Herbert um, in the fourth round, um, but that Josh Allen had, had gone uh, the pick before. If, it, if I'm reading the the board correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there was, you know, kind of some, some talk that this week ESPN goes ahead and, and releases uh, their uh, top ten quarterback list. Uh, no so they tried to do, uh, they tried to do the Weasley thing where they're saying it's well, it's actually these fifty people that we polled in the league, and we're just saying what they're saying. We're just saying, you know, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so like, it, but this is just what we're hearing. Um, but some I mean, are what, saying, yeah. But what what are your your thoughts there? Because I mean, you, you put you put some out uh, there on Twitter as, as it as it pertains to Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. So um, you know, just right. kind of have at it. So when I said that, when I said uh, Josh Allen is not better than Lamar Jackson, a that is not the statement. Lamar Jackson is better than Josh Allen. We have a lot of we have a really bad literacy problem right now, and and a lot of people just immediately ruined their pants over that misunderstanding. Um, but then uh, what I was also talking about was real life in that case. I wasn't talking about fantasy. In fantasy, I definitely prefer Josh Allen. And indeed, with this fourth round pick, I was hoping to get Josh Allen there. I, I had taken, by this point, Joe Mixon, Kyle Pitts, and Brees Hall. Uh, quick rewind on Brees Hall. I was actually sniped there, too. I, I shouldn't have expected it to work, but I was hoping to get ETN rather than Brees Hall. ETN went uh, three picks before me, so I ended up with Hall despite him having the same bye week as Mixon. Uh, in any case, I went in, I, I made that hall pick, and I was like, man, I, hopefully Allen makes it to the, the next one. And um, I wasn't disappointed exactly to take Herbert there, but I knew uh, at that point, having taken Pitts, I wasn't going to take Waller, who was probably the best value on the board at that point. Um, so I thought, you know, I either right here is where I take a receiver, and I didn't see any compelling. I, I guess the best one was, well, DK Metcalf was the next one taken, and, I would have needed it to be like T Higgins, AJ Brown, someone like that for me to take them over Herbert in this case. Cause I knew I'm, I'm going to be waiting a long time till my next pick. And I know I want to have, you know, something like top four, top three quarterback output. So I took Herbert and uh, you know, I, I, I do have him behind Allen. It's, it's not that I have them a one, a one B kind of thing, but uh, just the same. I'm not too sad about it. I think Herbert could be the quarterback one this year. I don't think that should be shocking to anybody if that happens, especially if they just do something as simple as signing Will Fuller or Julio Jones. I would really, really, in that case, I might actually make it more like a 1A, 1B between Allen and Herbert. Um, but yeah, I took Herbert, not so much because he's a 1B for me at the moment, as much as I, I didn't want to just assume I'd get that quarterback security, that quarterback upside that I wanted uh, waiting whatever that would be, uh, 25 picks or whatever it was. So uh, I took Herbert there. Um, To to go back to Allen, though, the reason I said that he's not better than Lamar Jackson is that um, basically Josh Allen's, the the whole narrative around him, I think, has become a little blinkered and even more so maybe around Lamar. Uh, Lamar Jackson won the MVP at 23 years old, and his wide receiver won that year was Willie Sneed. So... Mm That I don't think I should need to say more than that. I don't think Lamar Jackson should ever have to justify himself again after that. And yet we've got all these people who are just going to, oh, it was it was a flash in the pan. Uh, how how do you explain the league? Uh, how, how how incompetent does the league describe itself to be if they're saying a 23-year-old quarterback who is basically average league-wide put an MVP award on them? How do they, how do they explain that? With, with Willie Sneed as his number one receiver, they're saying – 
that a 23-year-old average starting quarterback put an MVP award on them. Uh, if, if they believe he's average, and uh, assuming they don't think Willie Sneed is some kind of Megatron-level talent, and maybe that's where the misunderstanding lies, they're just they're 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 guilty of like lacking object permanence or something. Like it's it's just it's absurd to say that that player can do that and, and uh, you know be average. Uh, unless you're saying that the entire league is is run by incompetent just imbeciles, and and if they want to say that, they should they they can, but they have to say that they can't just say Lamar Jackson's average. We know what we're talking about otherwise, but yeah, we let the average a uh, 23 year old just just put us in a blender for an entire season. Yeah, right. Give me a break. Um, so Josh Allen, in my opinion, cannot be considered better than Lamar Jackson, and I don't really take a position as to which uh, might be better between the two. Like I don't I don't even think. I don't need to take a position on whether Lamar is better than Allen to say Allen at 23 years old would not have been able to win an MVP award with Willie Sneed as wide receiver one. And the reason we can say that is he didn't have any good seasons until Stefan Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley all got there. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, at the very least I would need to see Lamar Jackson play in an offense with a Stefan Diggs kind of wide receiver, ideally with a Brian Dable kind of play caller, uh, by the way, Greg Roman is also a negative. Uh, there's there's another advantage that Allen had, an emphatic, emphatic advantage. So yeah, with with those things all being the case, uh, I, I just I find it really obnoxious and, and infantile, basically, when people freak out about it. you can't say Lamar Jackson, uh, or you can't say Josh Allen's not better than Lamar Jackson. I you can't you're still like impressed with peekaboo, like you don't have object permanence. I don't know what to tell you. I can't talk to someone like this. And, you know, I think another thing, obviously, I pay pretty close attention uh, to, to the Ravens. I pay attention to everything, but uh, the Ravens watch them every single Sunday uh, during the season. And, you know, I, I thought going into last year, a question that I had about him was his ability to play from behind. Because we had seen in the previous couple of years where the offense would fall apart or he just like kind of would would not play as well um, in less favorable scripts. And I, I think that, you know, the, the, the way that the 2020 season bore out or the, or the 2019 postseason bore out um, when they got behind, they struggled. And when Lamar was healthy last year, there were multiple du- double digit comebacks. And, and you also can't rely on that. You don't want to be uh, the team that, that is getting in the habit of falling behind by, by two scores, of course, um, and I don't think the Ravens are endeavoring to do that again this year. And if they have better injury luck, I don't think that they will. But well, John, it, there's just I, always I, I, a moving of the goalposts when it, when it comes to like, okay, well, it, he can't bring the, a team back. And then, he, then he does. He does it against the Chiefs. He does it against the Vikings. He does it against uh, you know, a handful of other squads. Uh, that, and then, then it calls, yeah, um, again, the object permanence is just uh, simply forgotten about. Yeah, and John – so you were talking about how he made these comebacks last year. And uh, that that's, of course, interesting, specifically in the context of, of the main criticism previously being the opposite of that, basically, that he couldn't do it. The reason that that was happening uh, was basically that the only time that they could produce last year was when they were trailing, because it was not until they were trailing in a game that Lamar Jackson would just stop playing yeah. the offense. Uh-huh. And Greg Roman's route combos would just go absolutely nowhere. The defense knows them before the snaps. They're not particularly novel to begin with. It's easy to figure them out. Lamar Jackson's been saying for years now that teams were just calling out their plays before the snap. That's still going to go on as long as Roman's there, by the way. Um, but yeah, they get, they'd start out the games for three quarters, especially the first quarter. The first quarter was always the worst with the Bravens. They were, they might've been the worst first quarter offense in the entire league in a league full of just unspeakably bad offenses. They somehow did the worst in the first quarter. And that's because that's when they were playing in the Greg Roman play script. And after two or three quarters of just going back to pass, never finding anything, you know, throwing admittedly some risky passes to Mark Andrews, uh, given how smothered all the other coverage was, what would happen is in the third quarter, usually Lamar would stop throwing that pass to Mark Andrews and run instead. And he'd make a few big plays in the ground game. And then the defense would have to adjust its coverage to to, to spy better on the run. And then they'd start completing passes, but only out of the structure that Greg Roman would call in the game plan. So uh, that's still going to be a problem in fantasy. It's the reason why I definitely would take, along with Stefan Diggs, it's the reason I would definitely take Josh Allen over Lamar Jackson. But in terms of real life, I think it's actually kind of comical to suggest that Josh Allen could play in that Greg Roman offense and still look anything like he does in Buffalo. It would be chaos. 
See, all right. Well, well said. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it it's deniable. Like the the way that Allen's first two seasons went, you know, there'd be the flashes of what we've seen consistently uh, now over the course of these last two years. But it'd be, you know, kind of anchored down, weighed down by, you know, the the kind of rougher around the edges parts of his game that, you know, made us skeptical about how this whole thing with Josh Allen would work going into the draft. And it's I mean, obviously, it's crazy how the way that uh, that uh, 2018 class has turned out where, you know, two of the top three picks uh, are already on their second teams. Two of them are going to be competing against each other um, in Carolina for the starting job that this, uh, you know, this August, everything like that. It's crazy how it's all worked out. Uh, But that's besides the point here. Uh, When it, when it comes to Lamar Jackson, like, you know, his first season as a starter, he, goes out and wins MVP like on you know there was just like no doubt as to who the most valuable player was that year and and he didn't have like you said the the favorable surrounding conditions and it didn't take him long uh to be able to put up that level of production remember when he uh he beat the Rams in like 10 minutes that oh that game was that yeah that Monday night game I was home for Thanksgiving got to watch it with my dad and we yeah that was that was just an absolute melting uh, of the Rams. I think that that, that was kind of like the beginning of the end for, yeah, I can't uh, remember golf. like a first quarter knockout, you know, like a first minute of a good just, team. Just the, the, they rang the bell and one of them was on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it would. Yeah. That, oof, that, that game, there, there were so many games like that in 2019. That was, that was a fun time. Um, got a couple uh, more comments in the chat here, going back to, to the pits uh, selection. Uh, why are you higher on uh, Pitts than Andrews in best ball? Well, I certainly like Andrews, and uh, I do think he's going to basically be the wide receiver one for the Ravens, even over Rashad Bateman. But yep. I think that uh, I, I just I just think that his price, Andrews's price, and the projections most people are making draws too much from the sample with Tyler Huntley, and I think Tyler Huntley was throwing to Andrews for reasons that Lamar Jackson won't namely that Huntley can't throw 10 yards so if he's only throwing eight he's only throwing to Andrews and I, I think it was kind of as simple as that in that sample so uh, I think Andrews needs to have a season like last year to outscore Pitts safely this year and uh, I just I just don't think it's on the tail I think um, you know the, that, that passing game you would have thought based on Mark Andrews's numbers that Tyler Huntley was throwing for like 300 yards a game, but he was throwing for whatever Andrews was getting plus 25 yards to the rest of the team. The rest of the team is going to do more than 25 yards a game with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. And I, I just think there's a pretty good chance that Pitts is the top tight end overall, uh, let alone ahead of Andrews. Yeah. I, I'm in on Pitts uh, this year. Um, a, a colleague of ours and, and a listener of the show, uh, Chris Owen, him and I were talking about a, a keeper, uh, conundrum that he had where it was he could keep uh, Amon Ross St. Brown as a 15th rounder or Pitts as a fifth. And I, I just felt like opportunity cost wise, like I, even though Pitts only goes two it's rounds awesome. higher than that, um, I, I just feel like Pitts ends up developing into something that's special. Whereas Amon Ross St. Brown, I think he's going to be really good this year. I love him in PPR. I'm trying to get him uh, everywhere that I could. I got him in the fishbowl, everything like that. But I just don't really see, especially once the Lions move on from Goff, him being more than, you know, with, with like a, an Emmanuel Sanders type of career. Uh, would that be like the, the high end of outcomes? Whereas like and receivers is so much more replaceable. It's easier to find when you have a great, a truly great tight end. Like if you've been keeping Travis Kelsey for the last seven years and like, you know, you, you've you've just never had to worry about tight end. And that's so crucially valuable. And I think Pitts could have something similar. Yeah, I will say there's no way that keeping Pitts is going to hurt him, but I am glad that I didn't have to answer that one because especially as like a, I know I'm basically a Pitts super fan, so I'd I'd be anxious about uh, just being, you know, a total hack to to say Pitts. Like maybe, maybe it's, maybe I'm just too much of a a homer basically at this point, but I like St. Brown quite a bit too. And 15th is just so cheap. Uh, Right. It's crazy. But yeah, I mean, Pitts, uh, he only will be 22 in October. He's if he doesn't get hurt, he's going to put up by far the biggest numbers of any tight end ever. So uh, if you can if you can imagine it that way, then the fifth round price tag seems kind of flimsy in the face of it. 
Yep, it, it does. So I, I advised uh, going the pits route there. Um, let's see. And then one more before we, we kind of round out the, the best ball discussion here. Uh, what was your thinking there for e- uh, either a Travis Etienne or a Brees Hall over Josh Jacobs? I, I guess like with Jacobs, the positive that I can see with him is, you know, they, they, they declined his fifth year option. So there's a chance that they kind of run him into the ground. But I think that this becomes a more, you know, pass happy scheme this year in light of the additions that they have. Uh, you know, Devontae Adams, you have Darren Waller hopefully being full go. I think, you know, Hunter Renfro is really developing into something um, as that third option in the, in the passing game. So they're, they're not going to need to run the ball that much. But I, I think that, you know, they basically could kind of have the luxury, as it were, of when they are running the ball, it's going to Jacobs. And there's really no question about it. And, and again, you know, dovetailing off of that, like, I don't think that Zamir White is necessarily going to eat off of Jacobs' plate as long as Jacobs is healthy. So volume, I think, there is the driver for Jacobs. But I think I, in you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I just I go after upside, uh, you know, especially on on some of these younger guys. And you know, for for Brees, obviously he's a rookie. Etn, a de facto rookie after after missing last season. I just think that the the upper range of scenarios for them is, is really high. And I don't think the floor is all that low. Yeah. So I like Jacobs enough and, and I like Antonio Gibson who also went in this round or sorry, it went, went after shortly after I took Brees Hall, but neither of them was really on my radar right there because I usually get them quite a bit later. I just, I didn't adjust yet. I guess to, I didn't realize yet just how inflated the running back market was. So I was surprised to see Jacobs and, and Gibson go so closely after I would prefer Elijah Mitchell over both of them. Uh, the reason I would include uh, the reason I would prefer Mitchell ETN and Brees Hall over Jacobs is not so much that I feel strongly about it as much as just, I, I really like those guys as talents and in ETN's case, it's very easy for me to imagine it because I just think he's uh, a very unique running back talent. I think he can be the, the Austin Eckler, Deandre Swift, maybe Aaron Jones, I guess, even a little bit, uh, that kind of running back, but the most blue chip talented iteration of it yet. Like I think Travis Etienne, if, like if he's not an all pro player, I'm going to be disappointed. So if I imagine him to be the same category of a player as, as Eckler and Swift, who, you know, Eckler goes like top six often Swift creeping into the first round, went in the first round in this one, I think Etienne is actually one of the best profit opportunities in the ADP this year. So especially in PPR where it's easy to imagine him, I think catching something like 60, maybe even like 70 passes while uh, probably giving you something like 200 carries for like a thousand yards. I, I just think ETN's sick. Uh, Hall, I, I, Hall was a panic pick. He's probably my least uh, favorite pick in the draft. I love him as a player, but yeah, admittedly, I don't know how he's going to catch more than like 40 passes, even though I think he can. I don't know how he's going to do that with Michael Carter there. So, uh, yeah, I need Hall to get a bunch of 20 carry games, and uh, that's not much better than what Jacobs and uh, certainly Mitchell could have given me. Uh, well, obviously, after the the news coming out of, of New York the, this weekend, um, we got to be really high on the Jets offense. Just, you know, we, we got to recalibrate our entire thesis on, on the Jets offense um, af- after last weekend. It doesn't necessarily – uh, affect Brees Hall, but but you know when teams are having to worry that much about Zach Wilson now, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. We don't, have to, we don't have to hang out on that one too much. I don't want this to spiral into uh, the the documentaries I've been watching. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's on our Patreon, okay? Like you know, we'll, yeah. we'll save we'll save that for for that one. Um, again, uh, so let, let's go ahead. Any other kind of like parting shots? on your team, the, re- the rest of your roster build, your, any like end game targets that, that the people need to know about? Yeah, I don't know what I could have done differently, but I, I do basically regret ending up with the, the hall pick there. Maybe I, maybe I should have used that as an opportunity to, to, you know, really put the flag down and take Elijah Mitchell to, and piss everybody off like I did when I took Pitts uh, the round earlier. But uh, I like the way the team generally shaped up. I love Hall as a prospect, to be clear. And I, if I could just be assured a certain workload, I'd buy in because I think he's ready to, for it. I think I think he's really going to be good. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up with Mixon, Hall, Corderell Patterson, who I think everyone is 
basically being ridiculous about at this point. And uh, Isaiah Spiller, who I think is going to get at least 150 carries this year. And if Eckler misses any time, maybe more and maybe a large portion of that could be in the red zone. So I, I really like Spiller as the, the running back four with, with uh, the skill sets of Mixon, Hall and Patterson. We'll see if uh, the scheduling and uh, you know the, their team circumstances cooperate with that. Uh, I went cheap early on at receiver, like I said, and part of if I'm hoping that I win this with a, with what I can point toward as a, as a particularly ch- nifty maneuver here by taking DeAndre Hopkins. And I knew from the two wide receiver detail going in, I was going to target Hopkins because I think it's easier to survive with Hopkins on your best ball team. If you only have to start two receivers rather than three. So I'm hoping that my ragtag bunch of other receivers can get me, you know, those first six weeks in a high ranking. And then hopefully Hopkins comes in and just works as a closer for me for the last 10 weeks. And, and uh, Jesus Smith Schuster, uh, Michael Hardman, I have that tandem, hoping that, you know, kind of hitching my wagon to Patrick Mahomes. And uh, Terrible idea. Less. How could you Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it pays off. We'll see. And I got uh, A.J. Green with my last pick to, to hopefully subsidize those first six weeks without Hopkins a little bit. I, yeah, I really like how, how you know, you, you went with the, with the cheaper receiver build, but, like, there's a lot of, like, good, like, correlation, you know, but between it all. Like, you, you're getting, you know, one of the, the two best uh, or potentially the two top performing non-Travis Kelsey options um, in the Patrick Mahomes offense. And then, like you said, A.J. Green, especially as, as a last-round selection, I think that that's awesome. And, and you know, he's obviously going to get a little bit more run in that early part of the season while, while Hopkins um, is suspended. So I like the way you, you finished that one out. Um, I thought that, that, was, that was an interesting build that, that you came up with. Um, and then, you know, you got two of the best kickers as well and Daniel Carlson and, and Kick Fearson. So that's looking good. I think the Ravens defense bounces back this year. So I like the investment there. Um, yeah, I took uh, John. I, I took three defenses. Maybe this was stupid, but in best ball tens, it's often very good to get three defenses, just because you're kind of pinching a lot of teams, uh, getting the depth that they wanted, and you're basically locking in a top five type defense score every single week. So, uh, especially in a 17 week season, I'm hoping that me having uh, the highest kicker score, which I, I'd be shocked if I don't have it, with Daniel Carlson and Evan McPherson. And then three defenses, all of which I consider to be quite good. Uh, I'm hoping easy first place at kicker in defense, uh, you know, like top three at tight end. Actually, give me first at tight end. I have Pitts yeah, and Aquagwoom and Pitts. That's a, that's a first. Uh, probably, you know, around top five at quarterback and then running back receiver. We'll see. It's a, it's a sketchier there, admittedly. But I, I think I might have threaded the needle. It's a narrow path that you have to walk with a you know 14 team league like this and I'm I'm happy enough with what I had here. I'm a believer. So I, th- I think you represented Rotowire very well um, in this draft, and I, I hope to do the same in in the uh, futures and props draft later in this week. Uh, before we get on to uh, the the next topic, which is talking about me, talking about my team from from the uh, Scott Fishbowl, um, we're going to go ahead uh, take a couple messages from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and use promo code ROTO5. That's R-O-T-O-5 to receive $5 off any new team. Again, that's ROTO5, R-O-T-O-5. All right. So as we discussed a bit last week, had the opening stanza of the Scott Fishbowl uh, Atlanta division. Atlanta 2, I believe, is, is the one that I'm in for, for those keeping score at home, of course. Uh, so we got through the first 10 rounds. Um, I was fairly uh, light on running back. I, I have two in the in the top six rounds. I had Chubb and, and Mitchell, but I knew coming out of the break when, when things started back up on Monday that I wanted to go ahead and grab a couple of running backs um, early on. So I went ahead Took Michael Carter with my first pick in the 11th or yeah, with my pick in the 11th round. Um, So that was the first pick coming out of the break. Two rounds later, I went ahead and and nabbed Rashad White. Um, I I find myself having a decent amount of Rashad White uh, thus far. Um, And I got Khalil Herbert in the the 15th round. I do like Khalil Herbert. Um, So those are the three running backs that that I've gone ahead and, and targeted. Got Marcus Mariota as my as my QB three in the 12th. And then I, I think I, I do really like how uh, the receivers shook out for me as well, because I, I was very happy with, with how things went in the first 10 rounds with Jalen Waddle, Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore and Chris Olave. Um, but getting Rondale Moore in the 14th felt like stealing and Jameson wow. Crowder, not someone that I that I had any shares of previously, but uh, the way that the, the receiver board had, had shaken out and, you know, maybe that this kind of helped me avoid an error because I think earlier um, like shortly after the draft, I was kind of like maybe going over my skis on, on an Alec Pierce. I would have considered him had he been um, available uh, instead of Jamison Crowder, uh, KJ Osborne, same deal. Although I, I might still have taken uh, Osborne if given that same coin flip, but Crowder, I do like. So uh, let, let's talk about those receivers first, um, starting out with, with Ron, your thoughts on Rondale, especially that late and then Jamison Crowder. Yeah, I really like getting Rondale that late. I look at the board, and it's definitely a handful of receivers who went ahead of him, in some cases by multiple rounds, who I don't think are going to sniff the point total that he puts up this year. So uh, I guess I can understand some of the concerns people have with Moore, given that he basically just got handoffs last year. But, A, that was pretty regular usage he got. Like, they were always putting him in the game plan, and it's not that uncommon especially when you're talking about an underclassman receiver, it's not that uncommon for a coach to sort of just decide going into the year, we're only going to give them this much to do and we're not going to revisit it until next year. Like sometimes they just put players on diet plans like that, right or wrong. It does happen. And I, even as a person who was kind of, I'd say I was an optimistic agnostic on more something like that. Like I didn't want to rule him out just because he was small but I didn't want to assume it'd just be as easy to get him going like it was at Purdue where he was such a monster, of course. But I, even as someone who had some concerns, I don't think last year adds up as, as like a reason for to, to, to reinforce that concern. Like it seems to me like it was just Cliff Kingsbury doing goofy stuff basically. And uh, I don't think it means anything necessarily, but they, it, them showing the intention of having him regularly involved, even if it's in this like gadget role, 
their insistence on always having that part of the game plan, I think is encouraging, especially in light of the DeAndre Hopkins suspension. I am concerned about Marquise Brown sort of getting in the way in the slot. It would be a new thing for Kingsbury to have a player like Marquise Brown or Rondale Moore lining up outside. It's always Antoine Wesley or AJ Green, bigger receivers. So I'm a little worried about Brown getting in the way, but if they just run, especially with Zach Ertz running in the slot so much, I'm worried about that. But if they change up the policy and have like Marquise Brown lining up outside or, or Rondell Moore lining up outside, that's the way he raises his a dot by like two and a half yards right there. And with that, I think you're already talking about an 800 yard range sort of output. So especially in best ball where you don't have to know ahead of time when they're going to really, you know, maybe this will be the week they, you know, show a flea flicker or something for the first time in 25 games. And uh, if they do, there's no way the defense is going to be ready for it. And it, little stuff like that, I think is big, a few, like three or four big, touchdown plays from Moore is enough to make him a really clear profit. I think it is at, especially at this price. I was going to say usually goes earlier than that. I feel like, I feel like he usually, um, I don't know. I would take him over someone like Jamison Williams, for instance, who went uh, a full two rounds ahead of him here. Right. And, and you know, we're JMO guys, but um, just you know, right. off it, Next off year, the injury. A different quarterback and when yeah, isn't there. That, that, then we'll, then we'll jump in. But um, yeah. And I think with more, what's interesting is, felt like he had such like a giant hive going into his rookie oh, yeah. year. I had and to talk it, against him last year because people were taking him over Kirk. And I was like, well, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, and now, now it's like, the, where's that squad it's, they're missing? It's it's crickets. They, they've, they've gone underground. They're recalibrating their plans. I, I don't really know exactly what they're going to come up with. But Rondale lost the faith. He, he, I mean, when he's healthy, he's electric. He's obviously not a conventional guy. He's really, you know, a, a short receiver. Uh, by conventional NFL standards, but the play strength for for his size, the explosiveness, like if, it was effective know, too. Yes, I know the numbers look so deformed that it's hard to figure out what they mean. I know a lot of people are looking at you know fifty four catches for four hundred thirty five yards. What the hell? That's eight point one yards per catch. How bad must you be to get eight point one mm-hmm. yards per catch? Well, it's actually pretty good when your average depth of target is 1.3 yards. He has to average 8.2 yards after the catch per catch, which is to say every time he gets the ball, the defense probably already had an idea it was going to him, and there's probably six players immediately surrounding him, and he still somehow has uh, some means of getting past eight yards even when everybody's gunning for him like right after the snap. So uh, if Cliff just adds a second move, you know, just just – have have a couple double moves in week one off of those same screen looking looks that they had from this year and the, the whole defense will bite on it yes so that and you know again the, you get the the baked in no hopkins for six weeks like you know but maybe somehow some way that that target share gets a little bit driven up for for rondale if he can have some of those big weeks um early on in the season then you know we're we're in good shape, although I, who's who knows if I'll have the cojones to, to start him or, or when exactly. But uh, redraft is a little tougher, yeah. yeah. But, uh, so I, oh, the, the thing is, a fishbowl you start a bunch of players. So I think right. in this format, he's he's clearly good. I agree, and I like the value. Uh, Julia has a question. Uh, Albert or uh, John Amario, both of you drafted Albert Equebunum. Can you sell me on Albert O, both in Scott Fishbowl and in Best Ball? Yeah, it is crowded there for sure. I mean, even, uh, you know, Hamler, Tim Patrick, those aren't the first names that come up. It's it's Judy and Sutton. So it's there's depth there to contend with, and it's it's not obvious how it would happen. But the reason I'm really optimistic for Equebunum is, a, I just think his price hasn't caught up. Like, however, however much risk he might have, I think his cost acts like there's more than what there is actually reason to believe, and undersells his upside. And the upside, granted, might require an injury or two to someone else, but it might not. And the reason it might not is, uh, it specifically comes up when you start to imagine the way Russell Wilson fits into the scheme, the way he tended to play it at Seattle was he would have his best. His biggest plays, his, his, his most memorable moments were throwing downfield and uh, be at the sideline or down the seam. It was usually someplace downfield. He didn't so easily get the ball to the middle of the field underneath or even in the intermediate. It was Maybe it's because of his height, maybe because of something else going on there for some reason that I'll never figure out. I don't know. But whatever the reason, he didn't really throw to the middle of the field in the intermediate or underneath. So if 
Jerry Judy's running a five yard slant and Russell Wilson only hits it at 80% the frequency that another quarterback would, then maybe that pass isn't going to Judy at all. And if it's not going to Judy and if it's going downfield, then there's only two players who actually uh, in the middle of the field anyway, project for usage there. Oquegbenum is one candidate. KJ Hamler is the other. And KJ Hamler is the one you can more easily imagine uh, between him and Judy running those Tyler Lockett, you know, 30 yard post routes that suits Hamler and Oquegbenum better than it does Judy. Uh, Judy is a, t- a tiny bit faster than Oquegbenum. I think he ran a four, four, five compared to Oquegbenum's four, four, nine, but Oquegbenum the size difference is crazy. Six foot five, two fifty eight, running that four, four, nine. If you're a safety, then you know, you're going to have to defend this, you know, play action, 30 yard post route possibility. You much rather see Jerry Judy. Cause yeah, maybe he's a little faster than a Quagmanum, but you know, just just get a hand on him. Uh, yeah. You know, trip him up. If a is moving full speed and you're a safety, you're not really liking the way that looks. You're 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 thinking about business decisions. You're thinking, oh my god, how is he moving that fast? He looks too big to be doing this, uh, and he is. It just it won't help them. And I think Russell Wilson. It'll be interesting, I think, to see. If, if they have it occur to them to try those Tyler Lockett routes with a six foot five, 258 guy, um, it could be very explosive because there's there aren't safeties who can run with that and, and without giving up, you know, just huge box out radius. And like it, for me, you know, what what is the, the convention when it comes to tight ends? It's avoid them earlier in their careers. But when you have someone that's as talented as, as a Clay Bunham that, that hasn't broken out yet, now he gets Russell Wilson in the mix. Like, I think that like, this is the, this is the year to time it up for Alberto's breakout. I think it's, it's coming. And like you said, it, it is crowded. Like no one's denying that. And, 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 you know, the guys on the periphery, like your Tim Patrick's, like your KJ Hamler's like that's going to, you know, potentially eat into some of that share. But, you know, for instance, and, and I think that Alberto to be clear is, is is a better prospect that, than this player was, but equal, almost equal levels of, of unexpected breakout, you know, wasn't it real crowded in Dallas last year? And then what happened? Dalton uh, well, still ended up, I mean, it's yeah, not the Dalton cleanest just, comp, but he's kind of, he's just kind of getting like empty calorie numbers. Um, he's like, he, he wouldn't even, you know, start for a lot of teams, but uh, I think sooner fits into the category of Darren Waller, and George Kittle, uh, when you're talking about these really athletic late round tight ends, uh, the, the kinds who we think back in recent years and really had a lot to do with the, the final rankings, the, the way people finished in their fantasy leagues. Like you had Waller that one year, you were in good shape. If you had Kittle the year he broke out, you're in good shape. He was going like the, the 10th, 12th round. The thing they have in common is Kittle is an athletic freak. Darren Waller is an athletic freak. Albert Quagmanum, I, I keep mentioning this, the only players in NFL combine history who had who weighed 258 pounds and ran a 40 yard dash under 4.5 were Okwegbunum and three other first round defensive ends, Montez Sweat, Dwight Freeney and Brian Scott. So uh, the level of athletic, you know, like he's just like a singular athlete and he's on a per play basis already been very productive, which just hasn't been there as the snap count. So if he's playing 750, 800 snaps, I think he's got a really good shot at 100 targets, and I think he's probably going to have the highest yards per target. On, I guess it depends on where they deploy him. They could use him the wrong way and give him a. If they run a bunch of like Bruce Arians crap, you know, like giving him four yard curls, four yard flats, things like that don't suit him. But if they get him moving, I mean, it's, it's just a train at a certain point. It's, it's so much mass moving so fast. And, uh, yeah, he's going cheap. He's in that, like, 12th round, 13th round range. That's where Kittle was going and Waller was going cheaper yet. But it, I'm just chasing, you know, the, the skills. The skill set's been demonstrated with the per target, the per snap numbers already. He was already a good player at Missouri, too. Yes. And he's a, he's a freak athlete by any measure. So uh, when the alternatives are guys who, uh, you know, it's like, not to, not to bash Cole Komet or whatever else is available there, but Okwagbenum is the only one in that group who can peel off an 80-yard touchdown, and he's the only one in that group who's playing with a quarterback that we might bet on having 35-plus touchdowns. Yeah, and, and Julia sums it up, you know, fairly well. We, we're we're expecting the snap count to go up. The question is, is you know, how much do the targets go up? Well, Albert's uh, you know, been uh, 
Oh, sorry. I just saw Julia's comment. Albert's been rapidly targeted on the snaps that he's played. So the snaps is sooner a question, I think, than the targets. And I don't see how the snaps are going to be low because Dulcich, um, he's basically a different position. And whatever game they want to play with him, Aquagunum can play better. So uh, I don't think he plays fewer than 700 snaps unless he gets hurt. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm in on him. I, I have him. Uh, I have. If I'm looking at my exposure so far on best ball, I think I have Alberto on probably about 80% thus far, plus the fishbowl. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to keep going after He's it. He's so because... cheap. You can diversify in the form of just getting him as a tight end two once in a while. It's mm-hmm. or just, you know, it's, Oh, Evan Ingram is the other one. He's he's not quite the caliber of athlete. You know, he ran a four four two at like two thirty five, but he's also even cheaper yet. So I basically just have teams with Kelsey, Pitts, uh, Waller, or I have Equebinom and Ingram. Okay, yeah, okay. So that those are those are the the Mario tight ends uh, du jour for for twenty twenty two thus far. Uh, Julia wants to know when it comes to my fishbowl team why I went with Mariota as opposed to Trubisky. Or Baker, um, I, I have to imagine that even though I think Trubisky starts the year over Pickett, um, that Mariota has the the longer leash on on Ritter than, than Trubisky does on Pickett. I think Pickett, by virtue of being that, that first round guy, I think Trubisky, if he starts to struggle, um, that, then I, I think that uh, the Steelers pull the plug rather quickly. Whereas Mariota, I, kn- I know that. The Falcons aren't married to him either. I'll, I'll be frankly, I'll, I'll be surprised if he's starting all 17 games for the Falcons this year. But I like the setup. I, I don't think he's done just yet. I think he's a mobile guy. Maybe can give me some, you know, rushing production here and there when, when I need it uh, from the quarterback spot. So obviously Baker is not offering that either. I just, I, I just, I'm just kind of not really touching Carolina with a 10 foot pole. So. Um, I, I prefer Mariota over him straight up for, for this year. Trubisky is an interesting question. I, I will admit that. And I think that Pittsburgh has a much better offense. I think it has a much better, you know, a top to bottom, you know, pass catching depth. Too. Yeah. So there, there, there's that. But I, I just felt like Trubisky's leash being a little bit shorter. And and I, the fact that um, – did, did I have another Falcon on my team already? Um, no, but I, I might be targeting another certain Falcon uh, later. I'm not not going to give away the spoilers to the, my league mates. I just think Mariota's better than those guys and has a better situation. I mean, this situation with the Falcons, even though it's not great, it's still better than the one that he had the last time he was starting with the Titans, which is they had A.J. Brown playing behind Tajay Sharp, and then they benched Mariota and put A.J. Brown in the starting lineup. Now – he has Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Brian Edwards is way better than uh, Tajay Sharp. Uh, so that this is, I think, when you throw in Arthur Smith being, in my opinion, clearly a top five offensive coordinator, I actually love the Falcons offense for the price this year. At least I have a lot of, obviously, Pitts, a lot of Mariota, and so I'm pretty did, high on Cordero. So does Mariota, was he there when Arthur Smith was there? Is that, is that correct from, from 2019? Was. Yeah, he got benched, but, uh, I mean, it's hard to tell what was Arthur Smith and what was Mike Vrabel. I mean, once yeah. Arthur Smith got to the Falcons, he started running things a little differently. They weren't doing any Corderell Patterson thing in the Titans offense, uh, not that they necessarily had the option, but Arthur Smith has shown an ability to just put put together almost any kind of offense that he needs to. And with Mariota's running ability, with Pitts, with London – uh, as long as that right guard, Jalen Mayfield, and that right tackle, Caleb McGarry, don't tank the entire offense, which they could, uh, but that's the only way I see it aside from a Mariota injury. And if, if he doesn't get hurt, he's one of the best values this year, clearly, I think. There we go. So, and again, you know, fairly low risk as a QB3. I, I kind of, you know, cinched up my quarterback situation, at least by, by my opinion, uh, in the first four rounds. And I, I thought that uh, he was a nice little, you know, We'll see see if we can get anything out of this one as my QB3. So I, I was totally happy to, to take the plunge there. I think the Falcons, at least offensively, hopefully could be a little bit more interesting this year um, than it was a year ago, even though, like you said, there were some interesting nuggets, some interesting details from the Falcons last year. Now we're entering year two with Arthur Smith. Anything else to add before we roll, Mario? Um, not really. I guess, uh, yeah, I hope I win this thing, this best ball thing 
I didn't realize there was a $50 entry fee, but now now that we're doing that, I care much more than, than most of our uh, radio league type stuff. No, no mm-hmm. offense to the other ones. <laughs> so there is that. Um, once again, thanks everyone for uh, tuning in on, on the YouTube. Always some, some good discussion there. So if you haven't caught our live streams, we usually go live um, around 1230 in the afternoon Eastern time on Wednesdays. If you want to jump in on, on the conversation on, on that, that's always a lot of fun. But if not, of course, you can catch the audio version of this via podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. Um, but that's going to do it for us here um, on the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.